This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960, the fan. What's up, everybody? It's Friday. It's the final edition of Hockey Central of the week. We'll be back with you on Tuesday next week. Thanks, everyone, for listening Monday or Tuesday through Friday. Excuse me. Uh, we got some news this morning. Ethan Bear traded to the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, haven't seen that come through as official from Vancouver or Carolina, but lots of insiders on it. We'll get into that in a little bit. Busy show today. Tyler Yaremchuk from Oilers Nation and Daily Faceoff. He's going to join us at around 105. We're going to tee up the Battle of Alberta, the second Battle of Alberta of the year, second of third. We've talked about it at nauseum. There's only three this year. There's only three Battle of Albertas and none in 2023 until the playoffs. It's bogus. I think we all agree. But we're going to talk a bit about that with Tyler. Uh, Mark Lazarus is going to join us at 140. He is in Arizona for the opening of, that's right, Mullet Arena. That's the name of the Arizona State University Stadium Arena that the Arizona Coyotes are going to be playing out of this year and at least for the next three seasons. So we're going to talk to Mark about his first look at Mullet Arena and maybe a little bit about the Chicago Blackhawks because Mark is a national writer at The Athletic. He also covers Chicago and they're off to a hot start. So we'll bring Mark in at the bottom of the hour. In the meantime, let's bring in Logan Gordon. Logan, what's up? What do you think about, uh, you know, I'm not going to ask about Ethan Barry yet. Just what's up? How are you? I'm Friday. Good, How are you feeling? I'm all right. How are you? <laughs> good, good. It's Friday. Feel rejuvenated i got my coffee i don't know it's a i like when there's news that comes out because there's it, it it's less work for me honestly <laughs> yeah it's always, i don't it's have to plan anything so it's topics. like ooh, yeah oh. ooh, news Let's perfect right we'll talk about there. ethan bear yeah exactly. slides that right into the planning doc <laughs> yeah absolutely what do you think? We got a couple minutes before tyler joins us and, and we're going to dig into the battle of alberta quite a bit um but Ethan Bear, again, I, unless that's changed on Twitter, I've got my timeline up here. Oh, it's officially official right now. Uh, so good thing I just pulled up my phone. So it's official now. Ethan Bear has been acquired by the Vancouver Canucks and Lane Pedersen. I believe that's a non-rostered forward. Uh, he's been acquired in exchange for a fifth-round pick in 2023, and Carolina is going to retain a portion of Bear's salary. I haven't seen exactly what that salary retention looks like. So the deal is Ethan Bear and a non-rostered forward for a fifth-round pick with some salary retention. Do you have an initial thought on that? I think it is it is what it is. It's fine. Yeah, my initial thought is almost what took so long. It's kind of felt right. like for a while Vancouver has been looking to add a right-shot defenseman, and I don't know, pretty much since Ethan Bear got to Carolina, it feels like he's been the odd man out there, so... This mm -hmm. made a lot of sense for a while. I'm curious why it took as long as it did. I know Vancouver's got some cap uh, mm -hmm. issues to, to work around, and Ethan Bear's not a minimum league player by any means, so that has yeah. to be you know sorted out. But for a guy that's 25, has almost 200 games of NHL experience, I think if you're Vancouver, you're willing to take a risk on that for a fifth-round pick all day, every day. Yeah, Ethan Bears, and he makes $2.2 million. He, he signed in the summer as a restricted free agent. And obviously, again, there's some salary retention, and we haven't quite seen how much that is yet. 
I think Vancouver having some guys on LTIR probably helps. And you're right. We heard a lot about, you know, I think we saw a lot over the summer in the last month. Carolina, you know, I mean, he hasn't played. He had a hard time cracking the lineup. He didn't play in the playoffs. He hasn't played yet this season for the Carolina Hurricanes. It seems like maybe there's a trust thing. I mean, that's a that's a really good blue line in Carolina, too. It's not easy to crack the Carolina Hurricanes defense, and they, they bring in Brent Burns and Calvin DeHaan. That's, again, not easy. Uh, but Ethan Bear hasn't played yet this season. Um, and then you look at the Vancouver Canucks, and they've got so many injuries on their blue line specifically. Quinn Hughes is on the injured reserve. Riley Stillman's on the injured reserve. Uh, you've got guys like Travis Dermott and Tucker Pullman on LTIR. So I think it's twofold. Those guys on LTIR open up some cap space, but they also open up pretty big holes on the blue line. And, and regardless of if you think Ethan Bear's a top pair guy, um, again, I think he's a difficult player to, to analyze because he played in the top four in Edmonton. He was a depth guy in Carolina again and then could not crack the lineup. He's a right shot defender. He had some good two-ray results with the Oilers. He's a good skater, pretty good in transition, but he's also kind of a high event guy in the sense that he can bring you some offense, but he can be a little bit chaotic in the defensive zone. But all of that said, I think the Vancouver Canucks make a lot of sense because they need help on defense <laughs> badly now with Hughes and Stillman and Dermott and Pullman all out. So I think it makes a lot of sense, and, and we'll see. He's probably going to take some time to get into game shape. To, to get things sorted out, get get up to speed, but we'll see how that ends up working out. I think I think it just makes a lot of sense. Um, speaking about Edmonton, Ethan Bear came from the Oilers. Let's head to the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline because we've got Tyler Yaremchuk on the line. He's with Oilers Nation Daily Faceoff because we've got yeah we've got some news on Ethan Bear, but we've got a Battle of Alberta coming Saturday night. Tyler, what's up? How are you feeling? I am, uh, I'm feeling good. I am driving the Oilers Nation truck down to Calgary as we speak for tomorrow night's BOA. Oh, amazing. So this is perfect. You're killing time. You're on your way over. This is great. Yeah, hopefully uh, the sound's okay here as I rip my way down the QE2. Oh, yeah, you sound perfect. <laughs> um, we were just going over Ethan Bear just while we got you. What do you make of that? Because this is the news of the day, and we're going to tee up the Battle of Alberta, but he played... You know, I thought he looked all right in Edmonton, then had some struggles in Carolina. What do you make of that? Do you think do you think there's something that the Canucks are seeing in Ethan Bear that maybe Carolina didn't? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the point you made about Carolina having a really tough blue line to crack. And, I mean, that's probably, well, it is the reason why he wasn't in the lineup this entire season. And in Edmonton, he was at times like a really solid top four guy. And I thought he was going to be on this on that Oilers blue line for a decade with the way he was in the, with the fan base and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. And then something just, he just fell out of favor. And I don't know if it was off ice stuff or not. I know there were a couple of years where there were issues when he came into camp with him, maybe not being in peak game condition right from day one in training camp. So maybe this time in Carolina where he was on the outside looking in, not playing in the playoffs, being healthy, scratched every game, maybe it's a bit of a wake-up call and coming back to a Canadian market gives Bear a bit of a jolt. I love the move mm-hmm. for Vancouver, though. Like, just to get a guy who is young, who is a right-shot demon, and who has shown in that division that he can handle top four minutes for long stretches, and all you gave up was a fifth-round pick and Carolina kept 400 k this is a mm-hmm. huge win for the Canucks. Yeah, I mean, what do, you, what do you have to lose here? You just won your first game well, yeah. of the season, may as well. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, let's move on because, again, we've got a battle of Alberta coming on Saturday night. What do you expect, Tyler, from game two? And, and I think we're all probably on the same page. The fact that it's game two of three sucks. Uh, so what do you expect? Or do we think everyone's going to try to make the most of this one, get it, get everything kind of fiery in game two? Yeah, glass half full, glass half empty. On one hand, it's the second of Battle of Alberta of the first month of the season. That's great. On the other hand, it's the second last Battle of Alberta of the season in the second month of the season, and that sucks. Yeah. Um, but I'm yeah. expecting it to be, I'm expecting it to be fiery. I'm expecting the Oilers to have kind of a chip on their shoulder after sort of the way game one went back in Edmonton, and now there's that motivation to, hey, we're going to go spoil the party for the fans down in Calgary now in their barn. Um, but mm-hmm. the last game kind of showed, you know, the Flames exposed some flaws for the Oilers, which is if you play McDavid and Dreisaitl hard, and if you come out of the gates fast, the Oilers more often than not will find themselves behind the eight ball. So I, I think there is a little bit of pressure on Edmonton here to kind of show like, hey, we can we can skate with the big dogs in this division. And yeah, you beat them in the playoffs last year, but to be honest, it doesn't matter now. It's a new season. Mm-hmm. If you're the Oilers, you're trying to win a division title for the first time since, you know, 1990 or whatever. And to do that, you need to show you can beat the Calgary Flames. So if you want to talk about any pressure heading into this game, I think it's firmly on the Oilers, even though this game's in Calgary. Mm-hmm. Do you expect it's going to be Jack Campbell or Stuart Skinner in net on Saturday? Because I know Jack Campbell's the number one, but Skinner didn't get scored on in relief in that first battle of Alberta. And, and honestly, his numbers look a bit better. I know they haven't, uh, you know, they, it's not morning skate day today, and we'll, we might see that tomorrow morning, but... If you had to kind of pick what you think is going to happen versus maybe what you think should happen, where would you land? Well, what I think should happen is Stuart Skinner should get this start tonight. Yes, you paid Jack Campbell all this money to be your number one and things like that, but he wasn't great last time against Calgary. And also, in the last game against Chicago, he gave up five goals. And I don't even think he's not giving up weak goals. Jack Campbell's not playing poorly, even if his numbers are poor, if that makes any sense. But I just mm-hmm. look at the way Skinner's played, lights out against Calgary, and he was amazing in that game against St. Louis earlier this week, was basically the only reason they won that hockey game. So I look at it and go, yes, you'd love to, for Jack Campbell to be your number one, and in these big games, it's no doubt you're going with Campbell between the pipes. But I look at the message it would maybe send if you have to sit there and look at a young goalie in Stuart Skinner, who's probably the future between the pipes for the Oilers in terms of a big, you know, long-term view, what kind of message mm-hmm. does it send that, like, hey, man, you've been great this year. You played unreal against Calgary, almost let us get back in that game. You just had one of your best career games against St. Louis. Ah, we're going we're going with the other guy in a big game. I think you need yeah. to send a message to Skinner and even to the rest of the room that, like, hey, good performances get rewarded here. You don't just get anything based on your contract or your name or your expectations. you got to earn your starts, and Skinner's earned this start. Yeah, I mean, you've got to go with the hot hand if, if you're playing to win in these games. And sure, you've got to be measured in terms of how you handle the crease because you did just give Jack Campbell a pretty big contract in the offseason and you gave him the keys, so to speak, to be the guy in Edmonton. And, I mean, this is a team that used to go with tandems all the time and kind of changed course and said, nope, we've got a number one in Jack Campbell and we're going to pay him. And, and so far it's looking like maybe it should be a bit of a tandem because Stuart Skinner looks really good so far. Yeah, um, and again, like this is a guy the Oilers have drafted and developed. And I, the last time you could really say, oh, they drafted and developed an NHL goalie of starting caliber, it'd be Devin Dubnik. And he didn't realize that potential until they shipped him out of town. So I think it's important that they handle Skinner properly. Um, kind of like in Calgary, you know, the Markstrom and Vladar. Like, hey, you want Markstrom to be the guy, but if Vladar's the hot hand, you play the hot hand because every game, every chance to get two points is just so valuable. 
Yeah. Do you want to do you want to give Markstrom an opportunity to maybe exercise some demons against Edmonton or do you play Vladar against Edmonton because he won the last game against Edmonton? It's pretty big uh, uh, question right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I was surprised that they didn't give Markstrom that game in Edmonton for the exact reason of like exercising the demons. I talked about mm-hmm. the message a coach can kind of send by picking his starter and I know that Sutter's done the whole, no, Vladar's playing one game a week and all that, but I just look at that. If I was Markstrom, it, I mean, tough for me to put my sh- myself in the shoes of a professional athlete, but I'd be a little choked if it was like, all right, my first chance to get redemption, I just had to sit all summer thinking about how I got lit up by these Oilers in the playoffs. If I just sit on the bench and watch that game, I'd be a little irked. So I feel like Calgary should probably almost do the reverse of Edmonton and give Markstrom this start simply because he is your guy and you should give him some shot at redemption at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's Friday afternoon. We'll probably know more tomorrow morning once there's morning skates at the Saddle Dome. Until then, I guess one of the big questions is when we're looking at the Battle of Alberta, I think we used to see, you know, Kachuk and Cassian going at it. Matthew Kachuk is out, uh, so is Zach Cassian, but Kadri's in. Uh, does, does that make the Battle of Alberta more or less nasty to you, especially when you go from maybe – Cassie and Kachuk to potentially maybe Kadri Kane? I don't know. What do you think? The thing the thing with Kadri Kane is I think both of those guys, you know, maybe Kane does a little, but they don't go into games being like, well, I better go be an absolute you-know-what disturber because they're both really important top six players for the team. Whereas mm-hmm. Cassian, I think Cassian would sit in the room before a battle of Alberta and be like, well, my number one goal tonight is to get <laughs> under Matthew Kachuk's skin. Yeah. And now I just think these lineups maybe don't have those pure agitator roles, or at least Edmonton's lineup doesn't have a pure agitator because they need Kane to score if they're going to be successful. So I think it makes it a little bit nastier, but I think it brings up the quality of play. Like, Kane plays hard, Kadri plays so hard, and I think the Kadri-McDavid matchup, again, it's such a shame we're not Mm -hmm. getting this matchup five, six times because I think by the end, by game four or five of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl having to deal with Nazem Kadri every shift or every second shift, I think they would almost be the ones being like, I'm going to drop him with you because I'm so sick of the way you're checking me. So I think the hockey's better, but from the rivalry perspective, that's a little more lame. Yeah, I think it's a great point, though, because we heard, um, you know, I think there was one of the great quotes from McDavid this summer when when Kadri signed in Calgary. I believe it was in training camp. Is like, well, we're going to have to see this guy more often. Like, how does Nazem Kadri in Calgary maybe shift some of the the powers or, or you know shift things the I guess the yeah I guess the power in the Western Conference yeah. or in the Pacific and, and I don't know if Flames fans will agree with this and so far through the regular season I guess I'd be wrong but I looked at what Calgary did and I said you know they're going to be not as good of a regular season team but a much tougher out in the playoffs and in some ways I almost look at this group now and I go you're built like the anti-Oilers like this team with three just really really good defensive centermen down the middle and a blue line that is probably the best in the NHL in my opinion I look at that and go you've built a team that is more than capable of shutting down Edmonton's two superstars and what do we know about the Oilers if you shut down the superstars you're probably winning so I just yeah the Kadri addition the way it puts Lindholm and Backlund sort of in different spots in the lineup and then the fact you got Uyghur as well on that blue line it just I'm way I'm way more nervous from an Oilers perspective going into a playoff series against the Flames than I honestly kind of was last year just because of the makeup of this team. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. That was the big thing I said. I don't, I don't know if they were going to be a worse 
regular season team. But for me, I was like, I think the Flames get worse in certain areas. I don't think they're going to have the best top line in the league this season like they did last year. But I think they're going to be better in areas where it matters the most, which is in the playoffs. And so, so I'm with you. I think maybe zooming out a little bit and just looking more specifically at the Oilers. I mean, it's, it's overreaction season. It's early. So what do you like when you zoom out? What do you make of, of Edmonton's start to the season? What do you think is a realistic expectation for this group? I, I think the, the expectations got to be Stanley Cup or bust for this team. Like you go to the conference finals last year. You know, maybe this fan base would be happy with just getting to the cup final and taking another step forward. But really, if, if this year doesn't end in a championship, I think most Oilers fans will be disappointed. I think this regular season, if it ends with anything other than the Oilers winning the division title, fans will be disappointed. Expectations are just sky high right now. And so far this season maybe hasn't gone as planned, but I think it maybe exposed some areas of this Oilers lineup in a way that will allow Ken Holland to really make sure he addresses them. The left side of this blue line is not nearly up to the Stanley Cup caliber that it needs to be. It's, it's nowhere close, and it probably never will be, but right now it's just simply not good enough. I think their bottom six step is still not good enough, and we, Oilers, reporters, media, fans, they've been saying this for the last five, six years, right? It's the defense and it's the depth that is just not good enough with this team, and the first ten games of the season, eight games of the season, have proven that it's Still not good enough. Mm-hmm. Is this going to be the season where Ken Holland decides that it's the year to go all in at the deadline? Because I know he said in the past that not, it's not every year. Not every year is the year to make the big trades and go all in. And I know they bring in Evander Kane last season, but is this the year where would they go and do something splashy? I know we're looking way ahead of ourselves here, but is this the year where Ken Holland does something big at the trade deadline? I think it is, and there was one move that he made this offseason that makes me believe it. They traded Zach Cassian with draft picks to Arizona, and mm-hmm. all the draft picks included in that deal were 2024 or later. He still has his first, second, and third round picks in this year's draft at his disposal, and last year he held on to his first round pick again. So, And I, I just look at it and go, to me, if you were – you held on to those draft picks for a reason is what I'm saying. You didn't include mm-hmm. them in that Cassian deal to get the cap space. You kept those picks for a reason. You've held on to your first-round pick every year. That's Ken Holland since he's taken over as the Oilers' GM. So I look at it yeah. and go, no more holding on to first picks. The pipeline has enough prospects in it. You move that first-round pick. You move the second-round pick. You move the third-round pick. You move everything at your disposal in terms of draft picks at this deadline to make sure this team is as flawless as you can make it. Mm-hmm. I think I saw on your on your show on Daily Faceoff, you guys were talking about if Jonathan Taves would be a fit in Edmonton. Do you think that's something that could actually happen? Yeah, I was chatting with uh, Frank Saravalli about that, and it was the idea of you know is is Patrick Kane a good fit for this Oilers team, or is Jonathan Taves maybe the better option? And while Taves is the less effective player, he might actually be a better fit because he would just give them that good veteran third line center. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Good stuff. I know you said you had to get out by, by 120 and, and you're driving on the way to the Saddle Dome. Before I let you go, last question. Do you have a bold prediction for the Battle of Alberta t- on Saturday night? We are going to see over one and a half fights. We'll see two tilts. Two tilts. All right. We'll write it down. We'll mark it. Thanks right. so much, Tyler. Thanks, Haley. 
All right, there he goes. That's uh, Tyler Yaremchuk on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. That chat brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner. For takeout or delivery, call 403-248-3344 or dine in at Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast. All right, let's open up the text line, uh, 960-960. Do you guys have bold predictions for the Battle of Alberta on Saturday night? We've already got one from Tyler. Two tilts. He's taken the over, 1.5. That's probably, is that, that's kind of, it's not bold, is it, Logan? That's not a bold prediction. I think we can do better than that. I mean, we on the text line. We ha- yeah, I think the text <laughs> line could do better, with all due respect to Tyler. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry, Tyler, if you're yeah, still we're listening just, yeah, we're in your truck on the way. Yeah, uh, we hang up the phone and just start ripping the yeah. guy. That's the way we do it at Hockey Central. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's not all that unusual. Now, we haven't seen these really groups, like you guys mentioned, the Kadri and Kane thing. We haven't really mm-hmm. seen that explode in a in a battle of Alberta yet, but could I see that happening and not have to squint too hard yeah i think i could i could absolutely yeah. see two fights so i think we could do something a little it's, bit more hot takey yeah to be fair to tyler you know what he's right uh two fights that's like a medium hot sauce yes. you know it's like a frank's red hot yeah when you put too much on your your rice bowl <laughs> <laughs> that's a good like way to describe not, it, yeah. yeah you just put like a little bit too much hot sauce on my on my food and I'm in a little bit of discomfort. <laughs> That's where we're at. Yeah. We've got a couple on the text line already. Andrew Mangiapani hat trick. Spicy. We I like, like that it. One. We saw Connor McDavid hat trick last night against the Chicago Blackhawks. That was a uh, I was helping out with the power rankings yesterday. And uh, I was keeping an eye. I, I switched from the Oilers game because they were losing to the Blackhawks. And I start watching Vancouver last night, and then all of a sudden I switch back, and McDavid has a hat trick, and it's 6-5. And I was like, oh, life comes at you fast, I guess, when you're playing against the Oilers. Yeah. So, Andrew Mangiapane hat tricks went on here. We got, we've got a Michael Stone hat trick. That is certainly spicier than an Andrew Mangiapane hat trick. He's, uh, he's Blake, shooting the puck a lot. I, I wouldn't be surprised uh-huh. if we see Stone with a couple. He's had a three-point night this year. Yeah, yeah, and he's had he's he's great. We've talked about it before. Everybody loves Michael Stone. That's true. He's great. Uh, we've got another Michael Stone. Oh, never mind. I thought somebody was also doing <laughs> laughing at the Michael Stone hat trick. Never mind. I was gonna say, oh, we've got another Michael Stone hat trick prediction. Someone's kind of laughing. It's it's a bold prediction. It's supposed to be fun. Yes. Don't be fun. a party pooper. No. We've got a Blake Coleman game winner coming down the line. Would love that. That would be like sweet, sweet vengeance for Blake Coleman after that goal overturn in the playoffs that I'm sure nobody's over yet. (laughs) Yeah, Blake Coleman game winner that the Oilers challenge. A game winner off his skate. Yeah, this time actually counts. Yeah, that's the one. That's what we're hoping for on Saturday. Yes, we get a Blake Coleman game winner that the Oilers are saying that, you know, his toe was over the line or something like someone was you know a millicentimeter that's not a word over the line (laughs) a little bit over the line we've got this ridiculously annoying offside challenge and it doesn't count blake coleman gets a game winner and the flames win that's a good one blake coleman game winner on, on a 
failed coaches challenge by the way. Perfect. We love that. What else we got here? We've got a couple Lucic Gordy Howe hat tricks. Could be fun. It is the Battle of Alberta. That yeah. would be spicy. Do we think that Milan Lucic is going to wear the leather suit? Oh. With the bolo tie. See, I always, I <laughs> when he does, it's, it's it's a different level. It's it's always you can see those people. Everyone tweets out when that happens. It's like flames by a hundred because. <laughs> it's hard when he's got that kind of style to deny what he's about to do. Oh, hell yeah. He's dialed in. It's going to be a great game from Milan Lucic when you see him walking in like that. That's what a look, Darryl's- too, man. Oh, man. It's bold. And I think what was the? Th- I think uh, Daryl Sutter said he's like, I wouldn't walk up to that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. We've got some good ones in here. We've got a goalie goal. That's not happening. Markstrom's not scoring. See, that's, the last time we... I think Daryl Sutter would hate. I can just see like a, a goalie <laughs> in Calgary going for a goalie goal and it gets knocked down at the blue line and creates a scoring chance and Daryl giving us just some classic quote post game about it. Job. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just stop the puck. Well, okay. Yeah. Thank you, Daryl. Yeah, he'll absolutely. never do that again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got Kane zero points, takes a penalty that costs the Oilers the game. A Dan Vladar shutout. So that goes into who we actually think is going to start this game. What do you th- We've talked about this a lot. Who, who do you go with? Do you go with Vladar or Markstrom? I go with Markstrom. I think Why? with the... First of all, I think he's coming off of his best game of the season against Pittsburgh. I really think that was his best performance of the season. And I think whether it's real or not... There's a perception among the fan base and among a lot of people that he has some sort of mental block when it comes to playing the Edmonton Oilers. Mm-hmm. And you really only get a couple opportunities to potentially prove that wrong in the regular season. Whether that means anything at all, if you meet Edmonton in the playoffs again and what his performance means, I, I really don't know. But I mm-hmm. think there is that perception out there. And I think that Jacobs, to me, seems like the kind of guy that would love an opportunity to get back in there and, you know, prove everybody wrong and prove to himself that he can handle this team. Because, yeah, I think, did Edmonton have a great series? Absolutely. I think that that, there's no denying how effective they were offensively and how Jacob Markstrom struggled. But do I think that that means he'll always struggle against the Edmonton Oilers? No, I really don't believe that, and I think that he'd be keen to, to show everyone that. Mm-hmm. I guess the question is, does Daryl Sutter care about exercising demons? Like, does Daryl Sutter want to give that idea any oxygen? Yeah. I think is the question that I have. If When Daryl Sutter's looking at who's going to start, is that something that he is taking into consideration? Because we know, and this is different because I wouldn't say that Jacob Markstrom had demons to exercise, so to speak, against the Colorado Avalanche last season, but we saw Daryl give Dan Vladar the test about Colorado every single time they played. So is Daryl now switching that over and giving Vladar the Edmonton test in their three matchups and saying that this is you, like, show me what you can do against, you know, a big rival? You know, what is it that Daryl Sutter cares more about? Is it about testing Vladar and giving Dan Vladar that kind of experience and measuring stick, or is it about this... You know, Jacob Markstrom's gotta gotta beat the Edmonton Oilers thing. Yeah, see, I'm kind of on the other side of that. Where, given all the noise around it right now, 
I wonder if starting Dan Vladar in two straight games against the Oilers doesn't feed that narrative even more about Markstrom not yeah. wanting to play the point. Oilers. That's that yeah. to me is the only thing, right? And then I think you're you're kind of stuck both ways because I get what you're saying, and I think it's a good point that uh, going back to last <laughs> Does year, care? yeah, exactly. Does he really? <laughs> is this something that he spends half of a second thinking about? Honestly, probably not. I really don't think he cares one way or the other. I think if there's everyone's healthy, regardless of what their scores were against Edmonton this year and going into a playoff series, I think Jacob Markstrom's the guy. I don't think it matters how good Dan Vidar plays against Edmonton in the regular season. So mm-hmm. it might just be us taking it out of context, but I wonder how much that gets ramped up if you know you do go too straight and then Maybe people say, oh, is he trying to hide Jacob right. Markstrom from Edmonton? Yeah. You know, just the other side of it, I guess. Mm-hmm. I think for me, I put all of that aside. The Edmonton from last year, I put all that aside. Because I know for us on, on the radio and media and fans, this is very much what can what have you done for me lately. And when it comes to the Edmonton Oilers, yeah, Markstrom hasn't done a lot for Flames fans lately. It's been Vladar who got the last win against Edmonton. But I think for me, when I'm looking at who is the best goalie, strip it all down, who's the best goalie to play against the Edmonton Oilers on Saturday night? I think you look at what Jacob Markstrom's done in his last two starts, and you go with Jacob Markstrom. He's your number one goalie. He had a very good final 40 minutes against the Carolina Hurricanes. We know the first period, Carolina gets on the board twice, but then Markstrom kind of shut it down and let the Flames get back into that game, and then he shut it down to let them, you know, get the win in overtime. And then he has a very good game against the Pittsburgh Penguins, particularly in the second period when the Penguins were pressing and trying to get themselves back in the game. So you've got, what, the last 60 last sixty minutes of really good play from Jacob Markstrom, um, tack in the final 40 against Carolina and you've got you know a pretty good last couple games I think you give it to Markstrom so he can build off of that and continue down being the Flames number one goalie again I I know it can be tough we're all thinking about the playoffs but Markstrom's still the guy in Calgary I I don't think a couple shaky early season games changes that so for me I go with Markstrom but I'm not sure what Daryl's going to do because I don't know if he's going to do the Colorado thing like from last year. So so we'll see what happens. For me, though, if I see Jacob Markstrom starting, I don't have a problem with it. If I see Dan Vladar starting, I don't have a problem with it. I think the Flames have a very good blue line. I think the Flames have two very good goalies. So I think that's a good problem to have. This is a good problem that we're talking about right now, is like which goalie should play against the Edmonton Oilers tomorrow. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, that's that's the biggest one. Dan's already picked up a win against them that's a, a huge momentum booster for your backup goaltender anybody really i mean edmonton is so offensively potent to think that you were yeah. able to put in your backup goaltender and pick up two points i think that's a tremendous win for dan vadar and for the the calgary flames as a whole when you're talking about their defensive game so mm-hmm. um the, the fact that we're even having the conversation and able to you know talk about it without jokingly saying, oh, who are we going to see on Saturday is mm-hmm. is actually probably a good problem for the Flames to have. And you're right, at the end of the day, um, do I think that, that Daryl really is putting too much stock into uh, a game late October when it's all said and done and it's the big picture? Yeah, but I really can't see that being the case. No, because we know what Daryl Sutter cares about. W's. And that's W's. 
W. Can we can we get someone to clip that so we can just play it randomly all the time on air? Like, yes, I want, of course. Like, you know how people have the like sirens or weird little like bouncy ball noises or yeah. whatever. I just want W's. You want W's? We'll we will yeah. make that happen. This is my first demand as a host <laughs> on 960, and I don't need the that's when I'm impressed. I just want you W's. just want the W's part. Okay. Yeah, and I want someone to play that every time I say something smart. Okay, deal. Just kidding. <laughs> Done. Because then we'll never hear it. Oh, self-deprecation. Yeah. yeah. That's or right. maybe we'll play uh, it too much. Yeah, that's not <laughs> happening. We know that's not happening. All right, you got anything else, Battle of Alberta? What are you expecting? Do you have a bold prediction for me, Logan, before we take a break? Because we're going to come back in a, in a couple minutes with Mark Lazarus. So uh, I don't know that, that, that it's bold or anything. I don't know that I've got anything that will... Rock the text. I think we're going to see a really intense game on Saturday. I just, mm -hmm. I have that feeling. There wasn't a lot of that in game one of the Battle of Alberta for whatever reason. Maybe it was just early season, but now both teams are kind of into it. Calgary's got three days off. It's a home game on a Saturday night. I, I feel like the Saddle Dome's going to be absolutely rocking. I, I feel mm -hmm. like, uh, I'm kind of with Tyler where I thought, yeah, I could see the mitts getting dropped a couple of times and it feeling like a more usual addition with some hatred in the Battle of Alberta. Mm -hmm. I'm with you. I think this one's going to have a bit more juice in it. I think you've got guys who got their first Battle of Alberta under their belt. I think you've got an Edmonton team who's pissed off that they got beat in their own building going down the highway to the Saddle Dome and they're going to bring it. I think you're going to see a lot of intensity from the Oilers uh, and I think it's going to be interesting to see how the Flames respond to that. I think it's going to be a really good matchup on Saturday night. So it's great stuff. Uh, we appreciated Tyler coming on. And I do agree with him when he talks about, you know, the intensity is going to be different, but they don't really have guys who, who might be sitting in the locker room before the game and just planning to run someone over. And I think you lose that a bit with the Flames and Kachuk. We saw him in that battle of Florida. Uh, he was just bowling over guys with the Panthers against the Tampa Bay Lightning. But at the same time, as great fun as that is, you need guys like Matthew on the ice and not the penalty box. So I think that's something you see a bit more measuredness in when we're talking about a guy like Nazem Kadri. He's going to be nasty. He's going to be a pain. Connor McDavid is going to hate that guy. Uh, but Kadri, for the most part, is going to stay on the ice. He only has one penalty so far this season. So... I'm with you. I think it's going to be a good one. Uh, let's take a break. And coming up after, we're going to go back to the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline, talk to Mark Lazarus from The Athletic, talk about the Mullet Arena opener. You heard it. That's the name of a pro hockey building. We're going to hear from Laz from Arizona. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to the show. It's Friday. We've got about 15 minutes left with you before we come back on Tuesday, Hockey Central 960. Just a friendly reminder, we are available on demand on Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast. That's Hockey Central 960. Give us a rating. Give us a review. That'll be nice. We'd appreciate that. Thanks for joining us live, though, if you're here. We are waiting on the Atlas Pizza Guest Hotline to hear from Mark Lazarus. He's in Arizona for the opening of Mullet Arena. That's the Arizona State University building that the Coyotes are now playing in for this season, for maybe the next three, maybe more. If things don't go well with the arena they're trying to, to develop in Tempe, well, we've got Mark on the line. Let's bring him in. 
Mark, how are you? Hi, Haley. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. How's, how's Arizona? Uh, it's 80 degrees and sunny every day. I can't really complain. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's an all right assignment. How'd you get that one? Why am I not there? I, I asked first, I think. I think that's how it works. <laughs> I guess. You, I should have put myself <laughs> You, you got to get ahead of it. You got to get in the summer. You got to get in there and really ask early. Oh, that requires far too much planning. You ask too much of me. So, Mark, you are there, and, and you had a great story come out on The Athletic the other day, just kind of mapping out why are the Coyotes playing in Arizona State's NCAA arena. I, I loved the opening of the story, and I think when we can get into this a little bit as well, because um, I do think there's a really important piece of this that might be missed sometimes when it comes to the impact this is going to have maybe in the NCAA when we're talking about Arizona State and, and growing hockey in the desert in that regard. Um, but we'll kick that to the side for now because I think the top of mind question is, is what what's the vibe like? What are you seeing? Like what is going on with the opening of Mullet Arena? What have you seen so far? Well, here, I mean, you know, I, I went to an Arizona State practice on Wednesday, and I was at Coyotes practice yesterday. Everyone down here is excited. I mean, it's going to be undeniably cool. It's going to be a great atmosphere. It's going to be really loud. It's going to be filled. You know, uh, 5,000 people will be here tonight. Uh, it's going to be really cool. Now, if you look at my Twitter mentions and the comments at the end of that story I wrote the other day, it is not seen that way outside of Arizona. There's a lot of people that are angry about it, particularly up there in Canada. I think there's a level of uh, people are indignant about, you know, losing a team to, like from Quebec. And, you know, these are the original Winnipeg Jets down here and all the things that those teams went through. Uh, I think there's some bitterness about how Gary Bettman keeps bailing out the Coyotes, which he didn't do for those teams. Mm-hmm. Um, and just generally speaking, I think the rest of the league is looking like this as a joke. It's just an absolute joke that a $5 billion business can have a team playing in a 5,000. I mean, they're, they're Arizona State's tenants. They're not even, it's not even their rink. They are, right. you know, they are they are treated the same as any concert that comes through town. So, uh, you know, the the vibe here is great. The vibe <laughs> in the rest of the hockey world doesn't seem to be uh, nearly as optimistic. Mm-hmm. Can you maybe provide some context on on why this is happening? Well, I mean, the city of Glendale essentially kicked the Coyotes out of Gila River Arena because there's all kinds of issues with previous ownership and current ownership about unpaid bills, tax liens. I mean, it's a really convoluted thing that Katie Strang has done a really good job documenting over the years. Um, and, the, the you know, Alex Marullo, the new owner, he wants to build this huge, sprawling, you know, I think $2 billion complex that will have a 16,000-seat arena. It'll have uh, uh, residential housing, shops, restaurants, this whole big complex in what I think a, basically a dump right now in Tempe, which is oh. essentially located. It's five minutes from the airport. Uh, it's right near uh, downtown Phoenix. It's near Scottsdale, where everybody lives. Um, mm-hmm. It's this pipe dream scenario, and it, it sounds like it's going to pass. I think people here expect that it will be approved, but it's going to take six to eight months to clear that land, and then it's going to take 24 months or so to build the arena. And this is after you know waiting for it to get passed. So we're we're looking at three full seasons where the Coyotes didn't have a home. So with mm-hmm. Arizona State building this brand new, you know, small but gorgeous arena, Mullet Arena. Um, it was really their only option. So they jumped mm-hmm. at it. It's kind of like a lifeboat for them. It's kind of like when the Islanders had to go back to Nassau Coliseum while USB right. Arena was being built. Except Nassau Coliseum, you know, beloved dump that it was, still had 15,000, <laughs> 16,000 seats, not just 5,000. 
Right. And so the Coyotes only have four games scheduled at Mullet Arena before the anticipated completion of the Annex, which is going to be where the Coyotes kind of locker room is going to be. They'll have to take the little golf carts back and forth, I believe, because it's not actually in the arena. It's kind of off-site-ish. And that's why, and then the visitors' teams are going to be in the visitor room that Arizona State has. And that's kind of why we saw the the makeshift visitors' room pictures going around yesterday. It's because they're waiting for the Coyotes' room and right. stuff to actually be built. Is that is that what's going on there? Because I think a lot of people well, saw the process of building that visitor room, and that was maybe one of the things people were like, "Oh my God, what is going on?" <laughs> the, the annex will be will be done in early December, and that's gonna that's actually gonna have both locker rooms for the home and the away team. Oh, so, um, okay. And they'll, they'll, they'll be, be state-of-the-art. They'll be real, they'll be workout facilities, offices there. Like, it'll be really nice. It's $30 million they're, they're investing into that. But for now, these four games, the Coyotes are using the visitor's locker room because NCAA rec- regulations won't allow them to use Arizona State. There's some kind of compliance issue there that I don't quite understand. So they're <laughs> okay. in this, like, you know, this kind of weird, awkward space with got, like, these, like, vertical metal shutters, like at a New York City bodega. It's yeah. separating these four rooms. It's a really weird thing. And then you've got the, you know, the Jets, the Rangers, the Panthers, and the Stars are literally on a community ice rink with, you know, rubber and carpet on top of it and like black curtains all around it and these makeshift lockers with, uh, with folding chairs. I mean, it's, it's hardly ideal. Um, but the, the league and the Coyotes were pretty insistent on them getting some games early on because they saw what happened in the Islanders last year when they went on their like, you know, what was it? Two, three month odyssey before USB Arena was ready to open, and it basically torpedoed their season. So they, they wanted to at least come home for a little bit. They, I think they started with a six- or seven-game road trip, and then after these four games, they got a 14-game road trip. Right. I mean, it's an insane schedule. But they wanted to get these four games, and for these four games, it's going to be embarrassing. It's a terrible situation in terms of the locker rooms. But, mm-hmm. for, you know, in the future, they will have, you know, NHL-quality locker rooms. And then the best part for Arizona State, you mentioned the, the benefits for them, they will get to when when the Coyotes leave, Arizona State gets all this all that locker room space for free, and it'll give them the ability to host NCAA tournament games because there'll be four locker rooms, which is the minimum required. So it's a huge boon for Arizona State. Like there's no there's no downside at all to Arizona State here. Yeah, and I think that's the really cool part. And I was talking about this. Um, we recorded an episode of the Athletic Hockey Show yesterday, and we really dug into Arizona there. And I think one of the things for me is we talk about growing hockey in Arizona, and you grow hockey in the desert. How many players are now going to pick Arizona State as a destination to play in the NCAA and what's that going to do for players to be so close to the kind of ultimate dream of playing in the NHL I I mean I used to cover the Toronto Marlies and and we're seeing this in Calgary now too and this is the benefit of having the Wranglers playing at the Saddle Dome is it's just this little piece of, of something where you're, you can, you're in the American League or you're in college, but you're in the same barn as the NHL team and you have good facilities and you can benefit from that. But there's also the visualization element of being able to just look down the hall and be like, yeah, that's what I'm trying to do here. I think there's a really nice piece of this with Arizona State in terms of, of growing the game in Arizona and, and making that school a destination in the years to come. Absolutely. It's only been a Division One program for, I think, seven or eight years. Eight years? Like 2015 yeah. or so. Eight years, is that what it was? And, you know, they went to the NCAA tournament once or twice, and they've had a couple of down years. But, you know, it's like you said, this is going to be a huge... The rink they played in for the for the first seven or eight years of their existence, Oceanside Arena, which is, you know, literally, it's named ironically, like it's, it's next to a water park, so they call it Oceanside Arena. It had, like, 
you know, the, the roof was like 20 feet high, so pucks would bounce off the roof all the time. I mean, it was an absolute joke of an arena. You know, the, the rink was wonky, <laughs> and the boards were misshapen. And now, because of the Coyotes, the Coyotes had to invest in Mullet Arena to make it NHL quality. So you have an NHL quality ice surface. You have perfect boards that are like, you know, the measured circumference. There's a replay booth that they wouldn't have had otherwise because that's an NHL requirement. They're going to have these locker rooms in the future. Like, this is not an NHL size arena, but it's got NHL quality components to it that Arizona State mm-hmm. never would have had before. And absolutely, it's going to be a huge recruiting tool for them to say, hey, for the next three years, you're playing on NHL ice. Mm-hmm. I guess the next big question with this, Mark, is is how are the Coyotes going to make money and how is this going to work in a general sense? How How is this going to work for Arizona and the league with this setup as currently constructed? Well, I think the cynical way of looking at this is they weren't making money in Glendale either. If you ever went to a game in Glendale, then if it wasn't a Blackhawks game or a Rangers game or a Canadian team, there was 5,000 people in that building anyway. So, you know, Gary Bettman, he got laughed at at the All-Star game last year because he said there's one model where they might even be more profitable at Mullet Arena. And he might not be wrong because they are charging astronomical prices for these tickets. And we're looking at, you know... Except in the student section. There will, which is very cool, by the way. They're going to have two to four I love that. For students, Rules. because, you know, there's like a bleacher section for the college game. And, yeah. you know, college students can get it for 25 bucks. That's how you build a fan base, right? Like, that's a great Super idea. Cool. And it'll, it'll be a cool atmosphere. They're going to have a drum line, all that stuff. But the regular tickets are at least 200 to $270 of what I saw. Um, wow. If you want to be ringside in the corner, like on the glass, it was like 650 bucks for tickets. So Jeez. if they can sell all these tickets, they're going to make about as much as they made in Glendale. Um, it's, it's, you know, I, I know the NHLPA is not happy about it. Team, other players from other teams are not happy about it because they think this is going to hurt the bottom line and hurt escrow and the salary cap and all that. And it very well might. This is not a good situation, but it might not be quite as catastrophic as it looks just because I mean, it's not like, you know, the Coyotes were making money hand over fist in Glendale. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Uh, I just think that's, man, that's wild. I feel like I've got a, you could go to the Flames, Oilers, Battle of Alberta game today for $67 if you want to sit in the upper bowl. That is the cheapest ticket available on SeatGeek right now. Or you could go for like 160 bucks in the lower bowl to watch a Battle of Alberta. That's wild. That's wild how much they're charging, but that's my own. And for the record, you know, since you mentioned the Saddle Dome, which you know is my favorite arena in the world. um, Yeah, did you know it's shaped like a saddle? <laughs> it is shaped like a saddle. That's true. Yes. It's also that's my dad joke whenever people come and to crumbling town. and terrible. <laughs> and Mullet Arena is nicer than the Saddle Dome. I'm sorry. There's, there's no two ways around it. It's so it's better than Nassau Coliseum. It's better than Rexall Place was. It is smaller, but it is significantly better, and it will be better for the players, I think, and a lot of fans than some of these like 1970s, 1980s era arenas that we're trying to get rid of. And as far as I know, Calgary doesn't have a plan to put a new one in place. So. You know, the Coyotes aren't They're the only ones. They're back at the with... table. They're back at the table. <laughs> They've been at that table a whole bunch over the years, haven't they? Off and on, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, Depends I'm just saying, the like, day. the facilities at Mullen Arena will be superior to the facilities at some other rinks in the league. It's 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 just a matter of ticket sales. Like, how do you make money with 5,000 seats? That's really the only issue here. Mm-hmm. I guess before I let you go, Mark, because I got, I got maybe two minutes left, so you cover the... Chicago Blackhawks for the Athletic as well. So I've got to throw one in. How is Chicago doing it? Are they too good? What's happening? <laughs> they're really bad at tanking, aren't they? It, it, <laughs> what is happening? You know, I, I thought they were designed they, to lose. They're making me look stupid. 
<laughs> They're making all of us look stupid. Um, <laughs> I mean, Kyle Davidson's done a really good job of, of, of adding, like, you know, he's got this identity he wants of a fast, gritty, hardworking team. And then you throw in Luke Richardson, who's done a really good job getting these guys to buy in, and you bring in someone like Jason Dickinson and Sam Lafferty, and all these guys kind of fit the model really well. Uh, Jonathan Taze is playing really well. Alex Stalock has been great in goal. And all of a sudden, you know, they're not that bad because they have a structure. I mean, if anything, this makes Jeremy Colleton look pretty bad in that these Blackhawks with a little bit of structure and a lot less talent are playing a lot better than they did when they had Alex Nabrinkit and Brandon Hagel and a lot of these guys going. So you got it's early. I don't expect this to continue forever. But they're playing well and they're playing structured hockey for the first time in years. And, you know, you got guys going all out all the time. And you, if you do that enough in the NHL, you're going to win some games. It's rapid fire, yes or no. Will Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves be traded in the deadline? Yes, though I'm less convinced about Kane than most people are. Ooh, very I interesting. I wish I, I had more time I'm, now. I'm on an island here, but I'm, I, I think he's, Why didn't I start with he's that? looking for a reason to stay. <laughs> he's, he's, he's looking yeah. for a reason to stay, I think. I've said this for a while. If you're Patrick Kane and the only teams who have enough money to trade for you are teams that are rebuilding, why would you not just stay in Chicago where you live and you enjoy it? And can, like, if that's going to be your reality, anyways. Anyway. Well, everyone's already everyone's already building the uh, the Rangers jerseys with an 88 on it. So. Oh boy, we'll see. All right, thanks, Mark. Have fun at the game tonight. I look forward to seeing how it goes. I do too. Thanks. All right. There he goes, Mark Lazarus from The Athletic on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. The chat brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner. For takeout or delivery, call 403-248-3344 or dine in at Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast. All right. Thank you to Mark. Thanks to Tyler. Thank you, Logan. Thanks, everyone who produces technical everything on the show. It's Friday. We will see you again on Tuesday at 1 o'clock on Hockey Central, Sports at 960.